Welcome to the Upbeat Podcast, powered by CoChart, a show that's dedicated to providing resources for families impacted by childhood chronic illness. For articles, videos, and show notes, visit our platform at theupbeat.cochart.org. Hi, I'm Greg, the executive director of CoChart and co-host of the Upbeat Podcast. We have a special guest co-host today. Hi, I'm Elena, and I'm a CoChart board member and a parent of a child who was a CoChart student. And the Upbeat podcast is powered by CoChart, a nonprofit organization that does free arts and athletics for any child impacted by any chronic illness in Los Angeles, the Bay Area, or San Diego, and looking to expand to more cities across the country. The reason why we have a guest co-host today is that our usual co-host is in the interview chair. Can you introduce yourself? I am Roxanne, and I am the marketing director for CoChart. Before Roxanne was the CoChart marketing director, she was the parent of a child in our program. Can you tell us a little bit about Elena's story? My daughter Elena was diagnosed with a Wilms tumor when she was six years old, and that is a kidney cancer that's common in mostly young children. And so one of the things I think when we talk about Elena's journey, that you have sort of helpful feedback to give to other parents is the decision about whether or not to homeschool after the diagnosis kind of settles in. Do you want to talk a little bit about what some of the factors were for you in that decision, what decision you ultimately came to, and any advice that you would have for other parents facing that decision? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, we were actually fortunate enough to um, have that be a decision. I know that some families really don't have a say in whether or not they continue um, education at a public facility like we did. We had a team of three oncologists, and each oncologist had a different opinion. One was very conservative. One was really liberal and pretty much said, take your kid to Chuck E. Cheese as long as they don't lick the machines. <laughs> and then we had one in the middle who I think we we most related to. He had children our age and um, he had a very realistic and uh, educational um, perspective on some of these decisions that we struggled with. And homeschooling was a big one for us. Um, I was mostly concerned about the social elements of bringing her back in that environment. Um, she was only six at the time, so she was going into first grade. So it wasn't, it wasn't, I think, as big of a decision as um, middle school or even upper elementary grades. Um, but I was concerned about kids not understanding what was happening to her, her physical appearance, just, you know, expecting the worst in every social situation. Um, and instinctively, I really wanted to keep her home with me and protect her but I also knew the best thing for my daughter at that time was to just try to keep keep things normal, just to keep the routine going. And and I had smaller children at the time, and you know I predicted that it would be chaos and um, and maybe not even you know the safest environment for her to be home with us all day. Um, but uh, ultimately, my husband and I had some conversations around this, and uh, we slowly, as she was in the hospital having her surgery, and we were transitioning her to outpatient and chemotherapy, we surrounded her by friends. We had her friends come to the hospital. We had playdates right there at the hospital. We did art sessions with the kids. We brought them outside and did jump roping. And we just tried to keep things really normal throughout the whole 
treatment plan. And when we got home, we had friends over all the time. And um, with that said, we just thought that keeping her routine consistent and having her go to school and be around those friends. And, you know, we just kept talking to her and asking her, uh, how do you feel about this? Uh, What do you want us to tell the teacher? We did um, reach out to the principal over the summer. And we asked to meet her teacher, even though they don't really release that information until you're about to start school. Uh, But we asked to be introduced to the teacher. We met the teacher and we gave her a a small part in that decision. Like, how do you feel about the classroom you'll be in? How do you feel about the teacher you'll be working with? Is there anything you want to tell her before we start school? Are there any, you know, keywords or anything she should look for if you feel uncomfortable so we can, you know, bring you to the bathroom or take you out of the, you know, we gave a little bit of control on that decision on um, where her comfort level lied. That's a really interesting insight. I imagine it's one thing to kind of make that decision on a conceptual level, but then the first day that you sent her off to first grade, I imagine there was some element of kind of holding your breath and hoping that it that it went went well. How early in the process of her actually starting? Did you feel confident that you had made the right decision or how how long, how much kind of wavering was there in the beginning once she, she actually did return to school? Personally, I felt confident in our decision to um, have her return to school the minute I met her teacher. I met her teacher and she gave me her cell phone number, her work email, her personal email. Call me anytime if you can't reach me, page me. The office will know you need me. Um, you know, we're here for you. We'll tell you if anything goes, uh, if Elaine is uncomfortable or if she needs you or wants you, we'll call you, you call us. Um, so instantly I felt like it was the right decision for us. Um, We also knew we had that control where if at any point uh, she felt uncomfortable or if we second-guessed the decision to keep her in school, um, we knew that we could pull her out and we had the resources ready to homeschool her. I knew exactly where to go. I knew what to to do. I talked to the principal. I was able to get the curriculum. And um, so, you know, we just kind of felt a step ahead through the whole process. But um, she, it was definitely the right decision for her. Uh, She's a social kid. She's private, but um, she thrives off of her friendships. And she had a a few like go-to kids that had been friends with her since preschool and, you know, kindergarten the year before. But um, they were kind of her life. And if she didn't get that interaction with them daily, I think it probably would have affected her emotionally more than um, just sending her to school and dealing with the repercussions. But um, we did have a little bit of, um, you know, kids not understanding. We had a lot of it, actually. Uh, and I think it matured her in a lot of ways because she we, we just kept telling her, we can go in there and we can have an assembly. We can bring your doctors in and we can tell the whole school what's going on. We can do it with your classroom. We can do it with, you know, your grade, whatever you're comfortable with. And she kept saying, no, no, no. I don't want anyone to know. I don't want the kids to know. If I want them to know, I will tell them. So, um, you know, and wanting to protect her and not wanting the kids to tease her, I didn't agree with that decision because I I knew that they uh, would have a little bit more mercy if they understood, you know, why her hair was falling out and why she didn't have eyebrows or eyelashes. Um, But I also had to respect the fact that, you know, even though she's sick, she has an opinion and it's her life. It's it's her body and it's her treatment and it's, you know, her first grade, not mine. And so 
respecting those wishes and not telling all of the children, I'm sure that there are some kids at that age who can't conceptualize that or, or even with good intentions had did things that were hurtful. Can you Do you feel comfortable talking about any of the challenges that you did run into uh, and advice that you would have on, on how to address those? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I can actually share a story. When we were probably about three or four weeks into first grade, um, her hair was falling out in clumps. Um, and it was noticeable. And I don't think she noticed it as much as the rest of us. And I wanted to encourage her to wear hats. And she wouldn't wear hats. And she didn't like any of the hats. And we went to every hat store. And obviously, she didn't want wigs because they're itchy. And she didn't want hats because they're not cool. Um, there was one girl in her class that had this Hello Kitty fedora. And she loved that hat. And she didn't even know the girl. And she came home and said, Mom, there's this girl. And she kind of sits to the left of me and I love her hat. So I was kind of staking out like who her parent was. And I put a note in the girl's backpack. Well, I give it to Elena to give to the kid um, with my number. And uh, it took her weeks to call me because apparently she didn't clean out her daughter's backpack. And then I got this call at like 10 a.m. on a random Tuesday uh, saying, oh, I was just going through Kelsey's backpack. And, you know, I saw that uh, Elena wants to have a play date with her. So we started talking and I was sharing the story of like, I really need to know where you bought that hat. <laughs> and uh, so I come into first grade one day and um, the mom brings fedoras for all the first grade girls. Oh, wow. And you look at the playground and all these girls are wearing the Hello Kitty oh. fedoras. And uh, even now she's still like so special to me and such a good uh, family friend of ours that she helped us through so many obstacles. And uh, turns out she was a uh, pediatric oncology nurse and her um working days. Wow. So she identified the symptoms of what Elena was going through and mm -hmm. she was kind of hoping we would reach out to her so she could help. So, um, and with that said, you know, on the opposite end of the spectrum, she, Elena would come in and wear her hat to school and then they would have the kids that would like knock the hat off because they could tell there was mm -hmm. no hair there. And, you know, and we've had some episodes of girls like ganging up on her, like, why do you look like a boy? And, you know, how come your face looks like that? And, and, um, and, you know, she would hold it in and I could tell something was, bothering her, but I, I didn't really want to force it out because I also wanted to not make it into a bigger situation mm -hmm. than it was to um, just, you know, obviously it bothered her that day, but she's resilient. And the next day it's not going to bother her. So if the more I push it, the more she's going to think maybe it should bother me more and maybe I should take it personally. And um, so, you know, I just kept telling her these kids don't know what you're going through. And like I said, we can bring your doctors in and your child life specialist and have them tell, you know, your class that you're having medicine right now that's making your hair fall out and no, 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 I don't want that. I don't want that. So we respected her wishes and, you know, and I, and I explained to her, well, this is a consequence of them not knowing and it, they're not trying to hurt you. They just don't understand why they're six years old. They don't know why you don't have eyebrows. Like yeah. <laughs> it looks different than the other six-year-olds. Um, and then the other outlet we used, um, which might be helpful to other parents, is uh, we kept a blog for Elena. So mm -hmm. every single day uh, we sat in front of a computer and uh, mostly she would write it or she would talk to me and I would write it. But we took a picture of her every day and um, we just shared a story related or unrelated to um, her cancer. Mm -hmm. And I, that helped her 
So she shared a lot about uh, the situations that she had at school, even though she wouldn't share them with me. And sometimes she would ask me to leave the room and she'd write them and, oh. you know, and I would see it and, you know, put the picture up and post it. But um, that was kind of her way of releasing some of the tension from, mm -hmm. you know, the social issues she was dealing with without making them a big deal. And similarly, it's a lot of the idea of trying to create the upbeat uh, Facebook group for parents is a place where parents can have that experience and not only share what they're going through with other people that understand, but also share tips and advice. And so we welcome anybody who's listening to, uh, to join the upbeat uh, Facebook group as well and, and to participate there. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask Roxanne was, uh, were there any organizations that you all, uh, nonprofit organizations that you all worked with that you found helpful and, and would recommend to any of the listeners? Yeah. So um, one situation that was really difficult for us um, when she was receiving her chemotherapy is we had to stop sports. She's very athletic. She was only six, but she played sports and she loved soccer and we found CoChart and um, we participated in a lot of art clubs and uh, we did violin lessons and eventually we transitioned into golf lessons and uh, voice lessons. We also found a, an organization called Pavlov Foundation um, that helps uh, give the kids the, the tools they need to express themselves through photography. Uh, and she loved that. They gave us a camera. They um, even put together like a little photo book at the end. And we went to a, a, a day of training and she had a mentor that she worked with and she was given assignments. And um, it was a really great experience. And yeah, I can't say enough great things about all the organizations we worked with. Obviously, we had a Make-A-Wish trip, which was fantastic. We also worked with an organization in the Santa Clarita Valley called Michael Hofflin Foundation. And they focused on the emotional support uh, for kids, but primarily for parents. So they would bring in professional therapists and, you know, give us an outlet and a support group. And, um, you know, and, and I connected with a lot of parents through Michael Hofflin Foundation. I think that's so wonderful that they focus on support services for the parents because frequently the parents are just sort of like left to just fend for themselves. And obviously, uh, as you know, and you all know, it's just the most stressful experience of your whole life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, your world just crashes down and there's really nothing like it. And, you know, and as you know, they say it takes a village to raise a kid and it just, um, you know, the same thing is true when you have a kid with a chronic condition, it takes a village plus you know, I have my friends and my friends from childhood and, um, you know, even adulthood that were there and had my back and anything I needed. One of the things I was just thinking when you were talking about how the close bonds that you made do, when you were going through the treatment period and when it was kind of earlier on in treatment, you know, a, a lot of uh, that's the time when people are most likely to get involved with organizations, maybe to be listening like a podcast uh, to a podcast like this, but eventually... Uh, you know, so many of the kids uh, will move on and, and be beyond treatment. Do you have any advice for parents who are going through it now as to what that future might look like? How how does uh, Elena think about what she went through now? What what do you think looking back, you know, in, as kind of the after you've made it, uh, made it through treatment, any advice on that next phase that comes after? The only advice I have is not to overthink it um, because every situation is different. Every diagnosis is different. 
Um, you know, we, as our oncologist told us, we, you know, if, if he had to pick any type of cancer for his kid to have, it probably would have been Wilms tumor just because we were fortunate that we could take the tumor out and have our, you know, six months of chemotherapy. And then we, we did go on to a pretty normal life. Um, it took about a year or so before her hair grew back and, um, you know, she was comfortable in her own skin again. Um, but you know, we like we just use our support system through it. We uh, kept bringing her friends around. She had, you know, three or four really good friends that she had been close to before she was diagnosed. And we um, I did everything in my power to maintain those relationships. Um, there was really no predicting, you know, what the next six months, 12 months, two years would look like. Um, you know, obviously I had a lot of fear that it could come back. I had a lot of fear. I, even now she's going in for her, I think like seven year checkup and, you know, we hold our breath and, you know, and the one thing I, I think I, I didn't give her enough credit for was just how strong she was um, going through the initial diagnosis and all the blood that had to be drawn and the having the catheter and the um, everything else that had to be inserted in her and the needles and and obviously a five year old, you know, prior to that would scream every time she'd have to have a shot. And it was just like drama and terror. And, you know, and those were always my worst fears. And we finally got to a point and it wasn't that far into the treatment plan that she would just go in and be like, here's my arm, like, let's just get it over with. And um, so, you know, just giving them credit for their own resilience and knowing that you have to take care of yourself too and make sure whether running is your thing or meditating or yoga um, or even going for like a five minute walk and just kind of like leaving it all like that. I think that just, it, it does wonders for your mental clarity. I think it's important to point out too that now they didn't have this when my son was going through treatment, but they have it now. They've developed these, these post-treatment uh, pediatric and adult survivor services that are great. That's yeah, fantastic. that's good. I wasn't really aware of that either. I mean, the foundations that we were affiliated with at the time often mm -hmm. reach out and they always do checkups to see how we're doing. And, um, you know, we maintained CoachArt. We still are involved in CoachArt now Obviously. and we love it. <laughs> and uh, my my little ones who were newborn and two at the time now are, you know, six and eight and they just can't get enough of it. They tell, you know, it's funny. They tell everyone, my mom has the coolest job ever. <laughs> she just gets to play all day. <laughs> I was like, no, no, oh, I, yeah. I swear I don't. But... <laughs> And speaking of Roxanne's job, in addition to playing with the Coach Art Kids, uh, as in her role of marketing director, she oversees all of the content uh, related to The Upbeat. And so we invite everyone to visit uh, www.theupbeat.coachart.org. Uh, Roxanne is the uh, chief curator of all of the blog posts that go up, the podcast uh, interviews, and, and the folks that we talk to uh, in the YouTube videos there, as well as overseeing uh, the Facebook group that we invite you to join. And so uh, after this episode, she will rejoin us in the future as the co-host um, and we'll be overseeing that content. And we hope to see you all there at The Upbeat. So thank you so much for joining us and telling us your story today, uh, Roxanne, and for co-hosting and guest co-hosting, Elena. <laughs> and we'll see you all next time. Great. Thanks, guys. 
You can find more content like this at theupbeat.coachart.org, where we have blog posts, podcasts, and YouTube clips, as well as a Facebook group that you can join and share your own helpful advice with other families who are dealing with social and emotional questions about kids going through chronic illness. So we hope to see you there. Thanks so much. Thank you. 